0: Hello and welcome to another week of Mastering Dungeons. My name is Sean Merwin and I am here with the person who I like to call the reason I have to get dressed on Monday, Teos Avadia. Hey Teos, how are you?
1: Hey, I can't help but notice a certain sheen to you, um, you know, like, like, like
0: there's some kind of coating. It's really nice. Thank you. Yes, it's the bacon grease that I dumped all over oh. myself yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> it
1: looks really nice.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was it was good times. It was
1: good this uh, connection does not have uh, smell o vision, uh, unfortunately. So I can only imagine. No,
0: no it's yeah, the smell of bacon and despair really was, if you <laughs> if you want to try to imagine that. Oh. Um, but you know these these things these things happen, and, and we move on. And <laughs> <it's> slippery, <laughs> we we move on. We yeah. slide on, uh, and and now oh, we've got some spell. yeah. Now we've got some D and D to talk about. The first bit of news being that the D and D celebration play signups are, are indeed live, uh, so you can sign up for your D and D celebration games that take place from September twenty third through September twenty sixth. Uh, the AL games mentioned the Witchlight Carnival, uh, including a Prelude adventure that they suggest you play first which includes character creation, and then an epic, which they suggest you play second. Uh, as opposed to DDAL-whatever, these games use the WBW, Witch, uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight acronym, which is something new. Yeah. And uh, you can also play Ravenloft Mist Hunters and Dreams of the Red Wizard Adventures. So this is interesting. Uh, I haven't read in full full detail, but, you know, when the Ravenloft Ravenloft Mist Hunters game came out, I thought, okay, that's that's their alternate campaign. And then we we will hear, you know, season 11 or however they want to say it. But but they are seem to be dropping that season uh, blank Mm -hmm. indicator because this seems to be the the new season. Am am I correct? Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, there was that news recently where they sort of like seasons are now not core play, other things are, and seasons are I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> I look no, forward to finding out what this yeah, means. It, it's because
1: just to a, me, the season is the core. Like, I mean that the book is the core, right? And the season goes with it so I almost like refuse to hear what's been told to me, which is that the seasons are now like, and, and I think the idea is that like the seasons are sort of for more experienced players versus, I don't know. It, it yeah, we will yeah. figure it out.
0: Yeah. It's, I'm not upset about it. I, I it's just noteworthy no. to me uh that, that, you know, these, we tend to notice when things change, mm-hmm. uh, we being human beings, uh, so, you know, this, this is something that's changed and I don't know if it's going to be better, going to be worse, going to be the same, but it will definitely be different. Uh, you know, and that's a good segue into something I wanted to mention. That's not written in our news, uh, but that wow. is uh, something that Teos wrote about aging in D <laughs> and D and it sort of goes along with this, right? I thought it was a great article, uh, on your blog about about aging right about being a player in in a game that changes over time and we are as as a species not necessarily lovers of change but change happens and uh and it just reminded me of this of this announcement that you know change is coming
1: yeah it's true you know thanks for that uh for mentioning it um uh, it is a thing that's been in my head a lot and, and not just recently i mean i, I think that and i have a hunch theory we'll call it what you will that we feel wedded to whatever we started with like mm-hmm. for me it's third edition living greyhawk was to me what organized play means for other folks it was earlier with things like leaving city for other folks it was 4e lfr or maybe it's 5e al and like whatever you started with And sometimes it's an initial offering of it. So maybe you start at the very beginning with what AL first did and that becomes like your reality. Mm -hmm. And when you're new to it, everything is so shiny and fun. And just the idea of like, Whoa, there are these adventures and and they're going to come out in series and you can play them whenever. And it's so awesome that you completely disregard anything that's wrong with it because it's just what is, and you just accept it and you're learning it. And there are like people who've been there longer and they're telling you it's fine. And so you're like, okay, it's fine. And so then suddenly you know how it works and now change comes and that's when you start having an opinion, right? Like right. you love whatever happened before because it was what was and now, yeah. whoa, what I know is, is threatened and, and yeah. shaky and so then it seems really weird to us.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, there's always that delicate balance between the lessons that you've learned previously and the lessons that you still need to learn based on what's new and I think you made a great point of that. In that, you know, sometimes we tend to just eschew anything that's new re- without even trying to learn the the ins and outs of it because we've had to learn the ins and outs of other things. Yeah. So it really behooves us to step back and take a look at maybe our biases of the past and how it colors what we think of the, the next thing that's happening.
1: Yeah. By the way, another thing that's different is that if you go to the straight up yawning Wizards yawningportal.dnd.wizards.com website uh, there is an option for a DD dnd celebration 2021 Portuguese, so you can click directly to register for portuguese games in, in portuguese yeah. um, which is super sweet and the whole page is translated and it gives you all the information in portuguese so hopefully that'll happen for other languages too where it isn't just like one web page and you go in between English and Portuguese and it might be kind of confusing to you. You can actually just directly go there. So nice for folks who are in Brazil and elsewhere, um, very cool development.
0: That is cool. Uh, so you can sign up to play at D&D Celebration. And as of September 1st, probably the day or two after the show drops or before this show drops, you can register for your events at GameHoleCon. Uh, Hole Con is taking place October 21st through 24th in Madison, Wisconsin. I know of at least two people who are going to be there because they are speaking to you right now. Yeah, Uh, we have a few events in common. Uh, We are going to do a live recording of Mastering Dungeons uh, and a panel. So we will be doing this plus taking questions and chatting with the folks uh, on Thursday. So if you are going to be there, drop by and uh, have a chat with us. We are going to be also uh, together on a panel called The Fine Art of the Micro Dungeon, which we are doing at the behest of Mr. Mike Merles. That will be taking place on Saturday. Yeah. And we will be in a game together, a D&D live stream for Extra Life. Uh, this game will be DM'd by Claire Hoffman, and it will be also featuring uh, Bill Benham, Alyssa Faden. And Alan Patrick. So wow. looking forward to the shenanigans that we will be up to in that game. And I have a feeling they are going to be boisterous and probably questionable in taste. Uh, that seems likely. Uh,
1: are, are you running
0: any other events at Gamehole? I am not running any games, but I am doing two workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how these work is uh, you know, about a month before the show. You turn in some work that you would like to have reviewed and talked about, and there hopefully will be about eight people in this group, uh, in this uh, workshop. It'll run for three hours, and we'll just take work one after the other and then discuss it, look at the design That's of funny. it. Yeah. and I, I hope
1: you can afterwards share that on, on the podcast, because I think it'd be cool to hear how it kind of went and what you learned from it.
0: Yeah, I've done it before. I did it once at Winter Fantasy mm-hmm. uh, with just adventure design, where the first little bit we talked about um, talked about like some pitfalls of adventure design, and then we looked at the participants' submissions, and uh, it went pretty well. Um, yeah, I heard one, I heard one people of who attended. It yeah, was uh, Andrew, I can't pronounce his last name. Bisho something, who is in the mm-hmm. the um, design yes contest Good. was one PM. of the people mm-hmm. yep Wow. so uh, and he's still in it as far as i know yeah. Uh, yeah so that that's great uh so that's fun and you're doing a few extra things at game Hole as well
1: yeah i've got a an aliens live stream which is a fantastic game from fria ligan um you know it's based on the movie series and so we're gonna get our faces ripped off and all sorts of other exciting things um i can't wait to have a baby uh, <laughs> so that includes banana chan matt forbeck tony winslow Brill, and the dm is andrew gaska who worked on aliens so i mean that should be great um that's on saturday and then uh two different days i am running the clockwork tower which is the adventure i wrote with my son which is currently in the layout phase uh that should be really neat too to see how people like that
0: awesome so you can go sign up for that now. And I believe there's also a, a home version of Game Hulk on uh, that you can sign up games for as well. Uh, there's a new d and survey on classes and subclasses. I did not see this. So I'm going to let Teos take over. You, uh,
1: if you are at all like me and play a lot of stuff, you could spend your lifetime on this survey. It asks you basically one at a time, like, have you played or DM'd a fighter and then it'll ask you you know have you played a battle master and and, and just goes through all the players handbook fortunately mm-hmm. classes and subclasses and i could probably have talked about all of them due to all of the games i've had and all the characters i've made but i eventually just stopped saying and i started lying and saying no i have not played this class i just <laughs> i was like this i'm just going to not talk about the paladin like I'm, you know and i uh, stuck to the classes after a while that i just sort of really have an opinion on like the ranger um or you know like the rogue i was like it's great so i just said no i've never played a rogue which is not at all true <laughs> and then i just said in the comments cuz you get in a little comment field i just said this class is great don't touch it it's it's the one that always plays well almost regardless of what you do with it. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting and and it 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 was a little bit like the prior servian races and ancestries which made some of us wonder is D&D going to like create a revised player's handbook cuz why do you care sort of at this level of detail what people are satisfied with, right? Cuz it'll ask right. things like you know, how satisfied are you with the druid? overall and then it'll go into each and every feature that you get right spell casting wow. wild shape everything and then it'll go into like you know the druid of of seasons like do you like the you know this feature that feature and, and just rating all of it so it gives them a good feel of what people like and not and in theory that could just be so that when you're doing future things you can benchmark against what people like or don't like mm-hmm. but it could also be because you want to revise it which would really yeah. be fascinating
0: Yep. So you can get that survey at survey.alchemer.com. A-C-A-L-C-H-E-M-E-R. I can't spell today, even if well, the word's it's, in front of me. Yeah, this is a hard
1: link. It is. You're going to uh, have to click on that link in our show notes, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. Go. Just go to our show notes <laughs> and it, uh, it on was, our website.
1: It was on the Wizards Twitter.
0: Uh, it was shared on the Wizards Twitter account. Okay. There are multiple ways to get to it. Give them mm-hmm. your feedback. Uh, Magic the Gathering has revealed Battle for Baldur's Gate Commander Legends and as someone who is still not up on Magic the Gathering, I'm going to let Teos take over again.
1: I mean the big news is Spelljammer confirmed, Sean this is what (laughs) happens when you turn a story over me or I skip over the important part and just say they showed art of a Nautiloid over the, uh, I think it's supposed to be Baldur's Gate Um, and this began a number of fun conversations on Twitter. But um what it made me wonder is maybe what this is, is a set that is entirely focused on the concept of that video game, the Baldur's Gate video game. Okay, and that yeah. storyline fight between mind flares and the city. Mm-hmm. Maybe.
0: Okay.
1: Uh and maybe Geth Yankee since we saw those in there. Um So if you think of if you saw that trailer and if you didn't, you should, because it's an amazing trailer, you know, maybe that's a Magic the Gathering set sort of playing off that concept because it's all about Baldur's Gate and it is a commander set. So this is about commander gameplay where you use these bigger decks, more cards in your deck, and you have a commander who is an iconic character that you're playing out and it's giving you special abilities. Um, They said there'll be new mechanics. There will be iconic characters. There will be more flavorful spells from D&D and then commander style legendary foil legendary creatures. Um this is going to come out in the second quarter of 2022. They also shared that the Netflix Magic the Gathering show that we've talked about before mm-hmm. will is it's stated it's slated for 2022. Okay. And they revealed that Brandon Ruth, who played uh, Superman will voice the Planeswalker Gideon. And it's going to focus in this show on how Gideon and Jace share similar causes, but have different perspectives and approaches, mm-hmm. which ties into their whole, you know, what color are you kind of thing. Right. Um, this was all part of a large the gathering, what comes next announcement. They also shared things like there's this crossover that we've heard about before with Warhammer 40k. There's one with Lord of the Rings. So there'll be these things. Um, one with Fortnite. Uh, and one with Street Fighter as part of their secret layer program. So the secret layer things, is just like, you know, you can go out to those website, buy some cars that are themed that way. So it's not like there's a huge Street Fighter release. It's more like you can get these like reskinned, skinned re-arted gotcha. things that are Street Fighter-ish. Um, so I think Fortnite might also be like that. I'm not entirely sure. But I, Warhammer 40K and Lord of the Rings are actually some like release that's going to happen. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, why that's interesting to me is if they're partnering with that for Magic, that's just one step away from partnering it for D and D or some other related game. Exactly. It, it, and that
1: is one of the strengths, right? When when these when the when Hasbro is working with these other entities, then it creates a lot of opportunity for the future. Yep.
0: Uh they released the acquisitions incorporated uh content for PAX West. So we're talking about early September now, uh starting uh, at friday 8 30 p.m there will be the main show with kate welsh being the dm dming jerry holkins as omen Dran, uh anna prosser as evelyn marathon uh holly conrad as strix beastinger and chris straub as kathris straub yeah uh
1: so that should be pretty fun uh you know we'd heard that Mike wasn't going to be doing conventions. So that explains why we don't get Jim Dark Magic in this lineup. Um, but we get, you know, a really fun looking table. Um, and so there's that. There's also they have their panel, the C-Team Better Advice panel, which we've seen in the past. That is very funny where, uh, in fact, it just opened today via Twitter. You can, there's a link being shared that you can uh, submit your questions for these characters and they answer it in character. And they're very funny. If, if you've ever watched this, you, you, if you haven't, you've missed out. It's, you know, it's worth watching these things because it's so funny to hear them answer anything. People will pose, you know, existential questions. They will pose right. real questions about the lore of the show. And right. and all of them get this just hilarious treatment. So that's always a fun panel. That's that Acquisitions Incorporated theme. Yep. Uh, you and noted did, a couple other panels yeah.
0: that you thought were interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of tabletop this year. Uh, but there are uh, on the board game side, the 100 Games You Absolutely Positively Must Know How to Play 2021 Edition. This is something that Mike Selinker has ran in the past. And he just kind of very quickly goes through why these different games are important sort of as a designer to know and understand. Uh, and it's useful for anybody to go through that list because um, there are some neat design tips that he shares as he goes through it. And um, there's also worth noting, we need wheelchairs in D&D Disability Representation. That's Monday, or I should say the Mike Selinker one is Sunday at 5 p.m. So We Need Wheelchairs and D&D is Monday at 12 p.m. Um, that looks to be a, a very useful panel uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of information on uh, disability representation. Um, and I didn't otherwise see a whole lot that was tabletop related. Like often in the past, there's been, you know, like Jeremy Crawford sharing mm-hmm. the new storyline, but I
0: guess maybe timing just didn't quite line up. Yeah. So if you are interested, you now have access to those panels on our uh, in our show notes. We had somebody talking about a spell we made. <laughs> on, we mean you on on, uh, on, on YouTube. So Z Beshu created an animated short focusing on a spell called Gift of Gab, which was in the Acquisitions Incorporated book. Uh, and it's it's a it's a silly little spell. Uh but he, uh, you know, this, this animation sort of talks through what happens with it. And it, you know, comes at it from a humorous point of view, which is which is what we want because it's yeah. a humor, sort of a humorous spell. But then looked at ways where it could actually be used for more mechanical rather than role playing um, uses. And so, yeah. what, what what the spell is? It, it's it's a reaction that you take it's triggered by you saying something stupid and then you get to re-say what you said in a different way. So, you know, people are trying to say, well, what happens and what about this? And what about that? No, it's, it all happens within the same six seconds. It's not the next round. It's not an action. It has to happen immediately after you say the thing that's that you want to re-say and the people within five feet of you that, that heard you instead hear the new thing you said, rather than the old thing you said.
1: Like in this animated video, they have the, the wizard is sort of showing off to another wizard saying like, look what I can do. And they'll like call like an enormous, huge ogre type guy, something stupid, right? Like, yeah. like they'll insult them and then immediately undo it. And so the guy's like, oh, all right, I guess everything's fine. And it and it sort of says like, well, what is really happening? Is it that like reality is bending? Is it, is it that the, cre- the target now like, Thinks. Wait, I misheard that. Like, what is it that it sort of examines that? But then the funny ending is that then the other wizard casts silence right after they say the stupid
0: thing, and so then they get beaten up and torn apart. Yep. So yeah, good times. And uh, you know, thank you Z for taking the time to uh, to to look at that spell. We go from the ridiculous to the sublime. Uh, Arby's, known for having the meats now has or had the dice. So as Teo's notes in the notes here, it's hard to say exactly why, but you can now get dice from this fast food chain's merchandise store. Except you can't because they're all sold out uh, at, that oh, last, at last glance. Uh, yeah, clear dice with an Arby's hat inside each of them and the Arby's name on the highest value for each die. Uh, already out of stock. But hey, you know if Wendy's has their own game, we all know where the big money is. The big money's in dice, right? So, so that's that's where Arby's went.
1: Uh, yeah, I, it it may have been smarter, right? Like it's like why create a whole RPG when we can just make some dice and sell out instantly? But I, I really have to wonder did they make like five sets. Like, is this just some total marketing gimmick? Like they might be smart enough to also do that. Like, don't make hundreds of sets. Make four, you know, and just right. Who cares? And it's just about the marketing part of it. I don't know. So yeah. in theory, you can go to this website where they uh, sell it on the R B store and you can say, Oh, let me know when it's back in stock. And just out of curiosity. I put my name in to see if they're going to mm-hmm. actually restock this. Cause that'll tell us a lot about whether they were serious about this at all. But...
0: Yeah. And <laughs> what this is, is just one more step in the direction of gamers ruling the world. Right. Yeah. We've heard, even for the last five, six, seven years stories in major journals and major newspapers about how people who played D and D, you know, in the seventies and then the eighties and then the nineties are now taking over companies. They're now in positions of power in the entertainment industry, in the business world, and they are using their love of games as a, as a marketing tool, as a way to gather attention. And we are just seeing it more and more uh, as time passes. Yeah, very true.
1: Yeah, it really is sort of fascinating. Any one of these data points that we share on our show would have been such a bizarre thing just a couple of years ago. And so to see all of them come together, it really tells you, that, that things are different. And um, I think with the D and D movie on the horizon, that's also going to bring out even more of this, right? Because there's going to be that consciousness that this is a thing
0: you can sort of leverage for whatever right. it is you're trying to do. Yeah. And role-playing games are in, legally are in such a weird space that it's not like you need permission from wizards of the coast yeah. or Hasbro to make dice, Anybody can make dice. Anybody can make minis. Anybody can make these sorts of things that aren't d branded, but they are synonymous with D&D, yeah. uh, making it a cheap and effective way to get into the consciousness of fans of that without having to go through any licensing or any legal, uh, you know, twisting in the wind. So it's uh it's, fascinating. it's, it is, it is fascinating. Um, and I added at the last minute, uh, a blog by Merrick Blackman on first level adventures, you know, he takes a look at, you know, basically a lot of the things that we have been and will continue to be talking about what, what's great for, uh, low-level adventures? What are some pitfalls? Um, What are some things that he loves about first-level adventures? What are some things that he tries to avoid in first-level adventures? So if you've been digging our conversation, you should go to MerrickB.com to Merrick's blog and, you know, read up on his insights because he's run hundreds of new players or more through adventures uh, in his time doing adventures league plus other gaming uh so it's uh you know it's a it's a great read and did you
1: yeah it is i read that and enjoyed it did you want to talk about the previous
0: item oh i skipped it yes oh. i did because that's probably some of the biggest news we've got this week uh renegade game studios and hasbro are now discussing their new role-playing game engine so we've talked a while back about hasbro teaming up with renegade games to create a game for power rangers transformers and gi joe and what we weren't sure was would these be 5e games just taking the 5e engine and updating them for these different uh products these different genres and now we know the answer they will not use 5e but they will use a d20 based system created specifically for these games the system will be called the Essence Twenty role-playing system using a d20 plus a skill die which can vary in size from a d2 to a d20 and then rolling the max value as a critical making that smaller die very useful uh each game reminds will me have, of
1: savage worlds yes which, uh, has the, that the sort of a the exploding
0: die yep and uh so you know each game will have its slight differences but it will still rest on that c- that common engine and i did not Go any deeper in my reading uh, than than what are in our show notes? Did you have anything else to add?
1: No, well, I mean, not a whole lot. I went to they had Renegade Con this weekend, uh, mm-hmm. which tells you something about Renegade Game Studios and how they're doing. Yeah, um, that they can throw this, and they had a pretty decent number of of people following sort of all weekend long. Um, and they did a lot about more so the board game and and deck building, but they did have a session that Elisa Teague ran. Uh, or led where she was talking through these various games and, and it was you know very marketing focused here's what we're releasing when you can get the dm screen and the dice set and all this sort of stuff um but just a little bit of you know she talked through some sort of how to work so if, if you're curious for some details you can get a bit uh by watching those videos uh that were i'm sure available through the renegade game website or you can find the twitch channel um one thing that I thought was interesting is there will be some demos taking place at uh Game Yeah. That Alyssa's running and others are running as well. Um, and I, she did share the names of various people who'd worked on it. So, like Paige Leitman and Ben were um involved in I think GI Joe, I could be getting this wrong, which, yeah. exactly which one it was. Um, I think. You know, various other people yeah. were were involved that are kind of cool folks. Uh, so it was neat right. to hear the, the names of people that are involved with these teams working under Alyssa.
0: So, yeah, as as soon as I heard that this game was coming out, I went to game Con and I put in Essence Twenty, and the only games I saw were being run by Alyssa. Yeah. Or, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Alyssa. Yeah. Alyssa so T, uh, yeah. So I, then I was like, oh, I hope they have other people there running these because I want to play. <laughs> and uh, and so I'll uh, when September 1st, when signups start, I'm going to head right back over there and see if there are any more games opening up. Yeah. And with that, we are out of our news cycle and we are into our discussion. This week, we are going to continue our discussion of first-level adventures and intro adventures for D&D. Looking at the opening adventures or the adventure setups for all of the hardcore adventure, hardcore hardcover,
1: adventures. hardcore adventures yeah, some of them 5E. are five
0: uh, e hardcover adventures from Wizards of the Coast. And one of the reasons we're doing this is when we asked that question on Twitter about what are the best introductory adventures for D anD D for new players, new DMs, we really got no traction on any of the hardcovers. And, and and Just so I thought, hmm, why is that? Why is there not? Are there no uh, hardcover adventures that had a great opening that would be fun and easy to run for DMs and fun for players? So we're like, okay, let's let's talk about this. Now, here's a big caveat that we understand that not every adventure was designed for new players and new DMs in mind, and and that's okay. That's a choice, and it doesn't do us any good to rail on an adventure as being bad because it does not do something that it was not intended to do. So we are not condemning any of these adventures for being wrong or bad for not necessarily catering to new DMS or new players. But what we're trying to do is just analyze these adventures, Mm -hmm. maybe offer some advice for newer DMS who might actually try to run them or maybe DMs running for newer players that might need to make some tweaks to accommodate newer players, lack of experience with, with the game. Uh, so if you are a DM that loves improvising and you're experienced and you can take anything put in front of you and make it fun, great for you, but we're going to discuss these adventures as if you're not a DM that is good at right.
1: that. Well, and, and I think even if you like improvising, you probably want it to be clear and you probably want it to work well so you can add to it. At least that's the way I feel like. I want an adventure to work well so I can then riff easily off of it. If I don't right. know what I'm looking at, it's harder to riff,
0: right? Yep. So we're going to go through all of the all of the hardcovers except the ones that are sort of their own discrete and separate things like Tales from the Yawning Portal, uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, uh, Candlekeep Mysteries, Those are more like mini-adventures rather than one long uh, campaign, so we're not going to cover those. However, we will cover all the other ones. Going in chronological order of when they were released. I like it. Now, of course, the first one was Lost Minds of Fandelver. and we've already covered that, so we are not going to take the time. You can go back and listen to our previous episodes to get a detailed look at the introduction to that adventure. So what came next? Well, Horde of the Dragon Queen did from the Tyranny of Dragons storyline. So let's talk about that in some detail. The first thing to note is when, when it was discussing how to get characters into the adventure, it said, see Appendix A. So I dutifully turned to Appendix A, and I saw that Appendix A provided campaign bonds that can connect the character immediately to the plot of the adventure. These were supposed to replace the normal background bonds that you would get from your character's background. And these were great. Uh, This background information that become part of character creation can actually solve some of the problems that we see in adventure design of how do we get the characters interested? How do we get them information? just a simple bond like that pulled from the generic pile and then thrown away and pulled into this more specific bond. So you can be from the town or from the village where the adventure starts getting rid of that problem of why are we here?
1: Right. Or or should we even go to this town, which we're going to talk about? Like an example is one of the bonds is that this wandering monk once saved your life. He sent urgent word for you to meet him in a small town called Greenest. Looks like it's time to pay off that debt. So now, you know, I got to get to town. I've got to meet with Mm Leoson. And now when we show up at the beginning and we're not sure which way we're going to go, we have an opinion. We're going to that town, folks. We got to get there. My buddy's there. And that is a 90 difference from if you don't have that. So Appendix A is theoretically optional. No, like you really want to use this for this adventure.
0: Right. And, you know, as we talk about some of the other adventures, we will see that either they do that as well, or they don't do it and, and the design suffers because of it. Yeah. So, uh, right away when you're running adventures like this, look for those connections that you could make and plan out to have a session zero where, you can get together with all your players to build their characters together, not only integrating the stories of the characters with each other, but integrating it with the plot of the adventure that they are going to be going on.
1: And Can I say that um, I'm, I'm looking at my copy here of, of this book, which is a very special copy. I, I want it, um, I forget exactly how it happened in an auction or something like that. And uh, like I, I know it wasn't like it was like a random like a raffle or something. I got lucky, and, and this is Greg Bilson's copy, hmm. who was a producer at the time for Five e and We just heard he got a new job, so congratulations, Greg. Yeah. Uh, but Greg, in this version, decorated with sarcastic comments, <laughs> and and it's a lot of fun. And one of the things it has is like, for example, in the introduction, he writes at the top, season year who cares? (laughs) And then he notes these kinds of things like we do. So I think it's funny that even somebody who worked on the team at the time, you know, can look at their own, something that was under, you know, the the team's purview and say, yeah, you know, sometimes there's some things you do about your work that are perfect.
0: Yeah. And, and that brings to mind something I didn't write in show notes, but is an an important factor in these, this adventure and the next adventure we're going to look at were not initially designed by Wizards of the Coast. True. right? This adventure was designed by Cobalt Press. So as much as Cobalt Press is in Seattle and there are strong connections between the people at Cobalt Press, the people who worked on this adventure, and Wizards of the Coast, sometimes there is a disconnect just because of that uh, design setup where people may have to come in later to fix things or to add things or to subtract things and may miss places where stronger connections could be made.
1: Yeah. The other thing being that they had to deal with a version of the monsters and even rules that was not yet finalized. And I had to do some of that too. And you probably did too, Sean, where like I had to write, At the same time that this book was being written, so they probably had a very similar situation. I didn't even have CR values. So it was just monsters with stats, some of which later changed. And you didn't know how hard these monsters were. So you just sort of had to run a play test to see if the characters could even survive it. And some things you could expect are easy, like a kobold's probably easy, but you weren't sure. You know, how bad is a displacer beast? Oh, actually really bad for new characters. And (laughs) you learn that the hard way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, all of that goes into this discussion. Uh, With all of that said, I really liked the opening of this adventure as a concept. Uh, Yes. All of the things that we talked about in terms of starting with a memorable scene, starting with action, starting with the characters having to do something other than just sit back and listen to the DM drone on and on uh, is, is great. It quickly gets the characters into a situation that's that's sort of a variation of the quest board uh, mm-hmm. they yeah. they can be they can be provided with one or two things choices given to them, and then they can go and do those things, come back, and then do the next thing or have something open up because of that
1: and and Sean, maybe tell us what is what is it that's happening here
0: What is it that's happening here? so you are well let me read the box text sure because because here. I want, as I read this, it, it sets the scene, but I also want to, you, the listener, evaluate what it's saying to the player characters, what it doesn't say that they might need to know, and what it might prompt the characters to actually do. We dedicate this moment to James and Chicasso. There you go. For several for the past several days you have been traveling a road that winds lazily across the rolling grasslands of the green fields sundown is approaching when you top a rise and see the town of greenest just a few short miles away but instead of the pleasant welcoming town you expected you see columns of black smoke rising from burning buildings running figures that are little more than dots at this distance and a dark-winged shape wheeling low over the keep that rises above the center of the town. Greenest is being attacked by a dragon. (laughs) All right. So, cool. All right. It's exciting. There's something happening. You can hold up the picture of the dragon over the town. Evocative. Good, good, visceral. Okay, good. Get the adrenaline going. But... (laughs) As as the DM or as a player listening to that, what, what are you thinking? The first problem is a few short miles away. Unless you're on top of a mountain looking down onto something, how many is a few short miles away? Well, if it was one mile, no. If it was two miles, a few is more than even three, I would say. So let's say at least four miles away. You can see that four miles away. And also,
1: if I do see that from four miles away, the very clear option is, hey, let's find a different town to visit, especially if I don't have those Appendix A backgrounds.
0: Exactly. Why do we want to go there? Okay, so the adventure then that follows assumes that the characters go to the town to help unless they have a reason to go to the town and help a smart person might just say, well, I don't have really any stake in this. And it's a dragon. I'm level one. I'm level one. I know that that, that's not going to end well for me. Why don't we wait a few hours and then we'll go clean up any mess that's left over, which then gets rid of all of the adventure that takes place in Green S from that point on. And it's cool stuff, but mm, the right. second thing is, according to the player's handbook, even at the fastest rate you tr- can travel, you can travel at four miles an hour. That's if you're you know, running, taking minus five to perception checks, not using stealth in any way, shape or form. So you're an hour away. If you see a dragon attacking and you're like, I can't even get there for an hour what is the impetus then do you, so right away the players might be thinking what what am i supposed to do right what's the what's the point here this can all be fixed by just starting it 400 yards away rather than yeah. 4 miles away
1: yeah and i thought of this um because i watched a video where Mike Murrells ran this for I forget what group it was. It was somebody like Nerdist or something. It was it was a group yeah. of of folks who who cover sort of geek news and he started this off and sure enough one person was like, "Well, let's get out of here." And another person was like, "I yell at the dragon and I charge it." And and right. it was just so clear, both of those things are things the adventure does not want you to do, Right. but yet because it's such an open and so far away, anything goes, right? There's no indication of what we should be doing, and that's where a developer really needs to take this and go, wait a minute, folks, we need to move the action to where we're going to get the results we want. Yep. Because if play is so open that we have options that are destructive to the adventure, we, it's not open play. It's like we've just derailed things. And this is the mm-hmm. first scene for a new DM, possibly. You don't want these kinds of things happening. And it was funny. I think even, you know, Mike had to work hard to get yeah. the game back on track right? because of that opening. Right.
0: Right. And then if you ha- like Tao said, if you have two people that want to do completely opposite things, then it becomes the discussion uh, of what are we going to do? And, you know, it's not like at four miles away that one person can wait behind, the other person goes forward, then they get into trouble. The person that waited behind is still an hour away. So, you know, it's that distance doesn't do you any good. So as
1: a designer, if we look at this adventure and we break it down, right, what does the adventure expect us to do? It wants us to get into the outskirts of town. And what it's trying to paint the picture of is a chaotic scene that's in place as the attack has begun. And this should lead us through an initial kind of mission that we hit. It should lead us to the keep where we will then gather more information and then set out to do more missions. And then we will feel like we helped save the town. And then this overall thing
0: will conclude.
1: Yep. That's what it wants of us. But it that beginning really
0: yeah. throws it off. Right. And, and it, so then it says the sun has set by the time the characters reach the edge of town. Um, the the layout of information is a little confusing for experienced DMs, not to mention new DMs, because they say that, and then they give the general features of the town. Then they give the important NPCs that the characters won't meet until they get into the keep, which is still, yeah. still a ways away. And then random encounters. Uh, so the org, the text can be organized a little better to give the DM the information they need exactly when they need it. Not too far ahead of time, not too late, but right. And this is a tough thing to do. This is something that we've all yes. tried to do and we've all done it wrong and we've all figured out later, Oh, I should have moved this piece here. or I should have changed this here. And it would have been much clearer. So, you know, it, it's natural to have some disorganization in something with as many moving pieces as an adventure like this. Uh, Now, then there's random encounters and it's like the characters, if they sneak they this many encounters and there's sort of a very specific stealth check and how many failures cause an encounter to happen and roll this die, but not this die. If this happened and it's just sort of very complicated to put random encounters as the very first encounter that you could have throws it into the realm of chaos and it's not the good kind of chaos that you're trying to show is happening in town. It's the bad kind of chaos where a DM rolling poorly. And not only is the encounter random, but the number of creatures is random as well. So you could end up with like six kobolds plus one winged kobold plus four cultists for a first level party playing their, their very first combat. Uh, or it could be one cobalt and one cultist, which would then just be, it'd be better than six and four, but yeah, you know, it would be a, a, a pushover, but that's okay. the The good part is that once they, once they get through this sort of randomness, there is a real first encounter that does the job of, giving some information and pointing the characters in the right direction. And we'll talk yeah, about and, that and, in a second. And,
1: and I, think, I think what the idea is here is that as you're, you first reach the outskirts of town, you are supposed to... The players are supposed to understand, the characters are supposed to understand that this is under attack. It's not just that dragon. There are these forces, kobolds and cultists and all kinds of things like that, giant lizards. So therefore... They should try to get through the town uh, using cover and stealth. And then the idea is make this check. If you fail or if you don't bother to hide, then random encounters can happen. Hmm. Which I think this whole piece is, uh, come on, they're level one. We don't Hmm. need more fights. And if they are fights, they should be really like two kobolds. Like It should just be, if you want to intro, we're talking about this introductory stuff. A couple of kobolds are fine to just run Mm -hmm. into you don't need six kobolds you don't need six cultists or four four you know three kobolds and an ambush drake like no it doesn't need to be at all challenging remotely so right because then what's going to happen is what you're talking about which is we're going to have our first mission and after the first mission we're going to face these variable numbers of groups depending Mm -hmm. on the approaches we use and that's a lot to start throwing on characters and on the dm and this all happens we should say in two pages of text so it's all it can easily It can be so hard to grasp it.
0: Yeah. And so really what we're talking about here is either directly or indirectly, you need to give the characters a goal. What this adventure tries to do is say, Hey, you have lots of options, characters, you can fight, or you can sneak, or you can bluff. You can do all these things in this chaotic scene in order to get through the problem is you do not know you do not know what you're getting through to to
1: yeah it it doesn't you don't know get to the central keep necessarily until you meet this family that you're supposed to rescue but it's easy that a dm could have these other encounters first and sort of yeah it just needs a little bit you know that's and and i think that as a designer splitting things up is really important right? To mm-hmm. segregate things into scenes. So scene one is you see the dragon and you should want to go to town, which probably means you should be closer to town. So if I were running this, what I would do, and, and I've run this before and had it run for me, is start closer to the town, right? Mm-hmm. Like much closer, just outside the gates as this shows up and the attack begins. So you want to go inside and then you see from other sides of the town, all these foes have shown up And you've got to get past them to try to find some safety. Anybody can tell you, you know, anybody running through the streets can tell you there is safety in the keep and perhaps organizing a resistance there. Let's go to the keep along the way. We're going to go scene two, which is finding this family, right?
0: Yep. Yep. So as Teo said, just give that detail, describe the people running into the keep, Uh, you know, or start with you see all this chaos and you see a family come up from around a corner of a building with cobalts moving toward them menacingly. Now the characters have to be close enough in order to get there to help, but there's their goal. Their goal is we're going to help this family because it's being called out specifically by the DM. And you made so, some
1: good notes yeah. here that when we're told about the family, we're given some details that are also sort of confusing because they don't really jive necessarily with the information we have,
0: right? So the event, the uh, the fam, it says you know this family comes around the corner. There's children, uh, a, a mother wielding a spear, and then a father who's obviously very injured. Uh, we need to. Um, we're given that her name is Lenin Swift. She's trying to get her family to safety. So there's your goal. You want to rush up and do it.
1: And we initially fight eight kobolds to save them with that part straightforward. Hey, they're attacked by eight kobolds. Let's take them out. So we do.
0: Yep. And the, so this is possibly the first combat of the first adventure that you are running as a DM. Uh, And it can become very complicated. If you follow the directions given in the adventure or sort of the half (laughs) <laughs> the the half uh advice because it says uh, the children can move at 20 feet okay but we don't have any maps of the area we don't have any details we don't know where this takes place in the town uh, it just says it happens as the characters are moving through town so the the speed of the children is sort of irrelevant unless you you are going to run a super tactical you need to get 250 feet to get them to safety and blah, 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 blah. blah. It shouldn't really matter at this point. If this is the first combat, you don't want to hamstring the characters any more than you need to because they've got eight kobolds to fight. And if there's only four characters, eight kobolds can be a deadly fight. Right. Uh, It says if you try to pick up a child and run, you attack with disadvantage or you can only use one-handed weapons instead of two-handed weapons. Again, I, it's cool if you're a super tactical group, but just trying to get this adventure you know, started and get one combat under the belt of new players or a new DM doesn't need to, doesn't need to be there. Just yeah. deal with the kobolds.
1: And, and the thing yeah as you said we don't know where in the town we even are to begin with we have a map of the town but it, it's quite you know open and non gridded I mean it has a, a scale but uh, it's sort of 600 feet wide so theoretically it shouldn't be more than like say 400 feet that you're moving to but it, but there's no there's no sequence you haven't set up the the encounter is not set up to measure time off so it sort of doesn't You know, it's, it's an interesting piece of advice and and that's where it'd be nice if the advice were a little more suited to what is happening, which is, it shouldn't matter what your movement speed is, right? Players may very well decide they want to carry children, which is cool. And then if anything, I'd want to sort of give an advantage for doing that rather than a disadvantage because you're trying to move faster. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. And if you want to do something cool other than just the combat. Keep it as simple as possible. The, the, as you fight, the children begin to panic and run away mm-hmm. in the wrong direction uh, f- without using an action or a bonus action or a reaction or anything. One character can attempt a persuasion check or an intimidation check. Mm-hmm. If they make it, the children follow their directions. If they fail, they, they, pan- they stay still. And after three successes or three failures at these checks, the children either get back into line or, you know, run off completely. And that doesn't complicate the combat. It's just one more check in, you know, to to show the social aspect of the game.
1: And what we hear is the characters must make it past three groups of raiders. And that's where you get to roll to see what these raiders consist of. So we may have had random encounters. We've fought the eight kobolds to save the family to begin with. Now we got to move through three groups of raiders that are going to show up. And as we present the players with these groups of raiders, which is probably not on a map or, you know, it's there's at least no map to town. Um, we may use a grid or not for combats. But if we present the situation, it does say here, which I like that it does, it says... You know, the characters can fight, sneak, retreat, try something clever such as bluffing. And what we don't get here is the DM isn't told how to enable mm-hmm. that. Yep. And that would be really welcome for new DMs because new DMs might take, okay, great. But if you just say, well, there are four goblins there and the players don't know any better, they'll just start attacking the four goblins or four kobolds. Mm-hmm. And if you want to create different types of play. You have to set it up a bit more, a bit more like yeah. it. they're at a checkpoint, uh, though they seem to be distracted arguing amongst one another. Mm-hmm. That kind of detail will give players a clue that you don't just have to attack them. You could sneak or you could try something like listen in on what the discussion is about and then mm-hmm. try to make that worse or yeah. you know, throw a stone to one side. and And so just a little sidebar or just even a paragraph of text that could have helped to provide hints
0: towards what to do, that would have been really welcome here. Yep. And so once they get this family to safety at the main keep, and uh, the, the mother, I'm looking, trying to find her name again. Uh, lean in. Let Leenan Swift tells them, hey, everyone's running to to the thing. We should get to the keep good. Now you've set, set up that goal. So that that's, that's great design. Once you reach the keep, the adventure says, Hey, if you're using milestone uh, leveling now's the time to go to level two. And that's a great idea. And that yeah. is really all we need to cover in terms of getting the intro, this first level chunk of this adventure uh, put away.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's, a, it's interesting. I mean, it just shows you how in just a couple of pages looking at the intro of this adventure, there's a lot that you can think through how to do differently, right? And which speaks to how hard it can be for DMs to think through this too.
0: Yeah. So the next adventure, and the last one we'll cover today, is Princes of the Apocalypse from the Elemental Evil season. Uh, the first thing to note is that this adventure is basically meant for third-level characters and higher, So (laughs) they've just totally skipped the first level uh, or they, they attempted to skip the first and second level versions of this, but someone must've said, well, we need to do something for first level characters. So we'll stick that in chapter three. It's such a weird design because like, if this had been the first
1: adventure, I would have totally understood, Hey, we want you to play the starter set. And after the starter set, play this. Right. But we actually are now like several months past all these releases and past Horde and Tiamat and all of that. So some people have played an entire campaign and are starting their second one with princes and some people are new and some people don't have the starter set. So it's a really bizarre thing. And, and all of this that we're going to talk about is made harder because of the double duty that the adventure tries to do between balancing. Are you starting at level three or are you starting at level one?
0: Mm-hmm. So if you go to the section of the adventure in chapter 1 called starting the adventure this is what you're told. If the characters are first level use the adventures at the start of chapter 6 to get them to third level at which point they're ready for the main adventure which begins with the missing delegation in chapter 3. So not only it's not not only are you told to go to chapter 6 but the adventure doesn't start till chapter 3. So what's chapter 2? Well <laughs> we'll get to that. You can also skip the introductory adventures in Chapter 6 and begin playing the main adventure with third-level characters. All right, well, I want to start at first level because I'm a new DM, and I've, I've got new players, so I need to start at first level. So I flipped to Chapter 6. You get this description of of the town, Red Larch, and then some other text. Red Larch is a town on the long road a few days travel north of Waterdeep and a few days travel south of Tribor. It's a way stop for caravans coming to or from the cities of the north, with an inn named the Swinging Sword, a tavern called the Helm at High Sun, and many craftspeople who cater to travelers. Then it tells you for descriptions of buildings and NPCs in Redlarch, see Chapter Two. So you read chapter, you first by chapter one. Now you've gone to chapter six, but now you're told to go back to chapter two. Uh so it says the characters might be locals or travelers they and players learn about the area as the party explores the town and meets its citizens
1: you know i'm sorry can i just pause here yeah don't make your characters locals why, why did you say that because yeah. if you're local then you're supposed to know all this stuff right and and that actually makes it so much more complicated because the I I always hate this and maybe this is just me, but it's a pet peeve of mine that if people are supposed to be from here, then there's a real disconnect between their character and the player because the player is learning it for the first time and their character is supposed to already know it. And should actually then have valuable information to give everybody, but doesn't. (laughs) And and I I really dislike that disconnect. So this idea of like, maybe they're from here, like, well, then you better support that.
0: Right, it it does make it harder. What I like to do is take one character, say you were born here, you grew up here, but you haven't been back in five years. So you sort of Uh know some history, that then, I, as the dm, can give to you without having to go through an NPC. I could just yeah. say, "Hey, Tragdor, you know that this town you know this place used to be this, but now it 's this, and eh, yeah yeah, because specifically helps. to this adventure there's a whole
1: thing that 's going on, right, so some spoilers to this there there are there's a sort of secret society in play mm-hmm. so you know if i 'm a local wouldn't I have heard some rumors about this would i have some insights into it and who do i know in town because am i a member of the secret cult right you know like it it just gets so yeah it's
0: (laughs) yeah and and they they use the factions to give motivations to characters and by factions
1: we mean things like emerald enclave the lord's alliance and zentaram
0: harpers yep which is good it's a useful tool. But it's not as intimate and it's not as strong as giving a background yeah. uh, that that ties you to a place. Uh, and it's it's hampered overall by this. We're going to start at third level, but here's some first level stuff. Make it work. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just it's very confusing. Uh, so and I, I want to pause yeah.
1: and say some good things. Um so one is that that I think given the faction format of what d d was trying to do at the beginning of 5th edition with factions, there's some really neat uses of that that make people, make characters, players feel like it's awesome that they're a member of mm-hmm. the faction. I like For that. Sure. I think Red Larch is an awesome town. Like, super cool. A lot of towns, you don't even know why they exist. And Red Larch has these several businesses, this whole, like, wagon right type thing going on, and the mining of marble that's used in, in Neverwinter and Waterdeep, like really well done like it feels like a living place and a real place which is shockingly hard to do like if you sit down to do it and try to come off that way to players really hard to pull off and this red large design um you know that is the thing that i think green Mm honing really nailed with this is this is a really neat town Mm -hmm. um and 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 has a lot of depth to it uh with their businesses and it feels real and it's fun to explore
0: i like that a lot yep and Sometimes the the better the place is designed, the deeper it is, the more you have to make sure that the DM connects the story, the action of the adventure, the plot with that. And so what we see then is when we get into these missions that you're supposed to run for first level characters, you don't get any backward connection to the town, it just says, oh, here's the first mission, bears and bows, okay? The constable hears rumors of bandits south of town. Okay, D- he's heard rumors of bandits, or there are actual bandits. Does he know that someone was attacked? How do you have rumors of bandits? Either You're the sheriff, you're the constable. Either someone right, came tell to me you what and happened. says, I was attacked, or someone wasn't attacked, and then... So he asked the characters to investigate. Oh, okay. Is he really, really busy? Uh, now there may be things in the town that that answer these questions, but it doesn't say. See page blank, right. For what the constable knows, even just you know six characters of a page number. PG dot space forty two. Then I know, OK, I'll flip back to page 42 and read about what the constable knows and why he's not investigating. Uh,
1: and, so, and, oh, and just to touch in something we talked about in our last show where, you know, we talked about how uh, Dragons of Icebar Peak has that sort of quest board model where mm-hmm. you show up and there are like three quests available. And what's nice about that is that the DM gets to have a hand in what those three quests are, and it keeps things very simple for the players. And It may seem a little dry or lacking flavor, but what we see here is you sort of are supposed to come to town and visit the town. And as you go to these various locations, you'll pick up rumors and information from people you talk to. And it's made confusing because all of those descriptions in Chapter 2 are doing the double duty of if you're third level or if you're first level. Um, and it also means that where they go to is totally random. Like if they decide they want to go to the tavern, they may right off the bat hear a level one rumor, which is, Hey, my boss seems to be sneaking around the mining area or cart area I forget which one there's a sort of secret entrance there. And this happened in my, when I ran it for middle school kids and they were like, well, let's go there. And I'm like, Ooh, that's the level two area. Yeah. You know, once I look it up, I'm like, Oh, that's the level two area. So I had to find ways to sort of distract them from getting to that too soon. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing that happens when you use this models, you just don't right. know whether they're going to go to the clothing shop, which leads to the really good, you know, maybe these bears and bows is a really nice introductory thing, but if they never visit the constable, then they're not going to do that one. But that's the one you'd rather start with. And, and that's, you know, right. so there is that angle to where you almost want to as DM think, well, where what do I want them to do? Yeah. Because then I want to edge them towards those locations. And should it really work that way?
0: Right. And it's, it's a balancing act between giving them something fun to do that connects to the main adventure without pushing them directly into the main adventure that they're not ready for yet. So for the bears and bows, it's, Oh, there are bandits. Hey, you go out South of town. Sure enough, there's a cave and there's bandits outside. Oh, there's a bear in a cage. Okay. We fight the bandits. We release the bear, the bear mauls, the bandits. Yay. Fun, fun encounter. No doubt. Fun. Here's, yep. here's some, here's some coins, but there's no, not even a hint of the elemental evil portion of this. Yeah. You know, the bandits, one of the bandits had a tattoo, that was something, yeah. but it was burned off, and you can bear, you know, that sort of thing uh, needs to just, just the slightest touch that's reasonable doesn't have to push them in the direction, but it gives a clue. And this is something where we can give great praise, and this comes up a lot that people
1: say, you know, for being the first adventure, Horde of the Dragon Queen actually does a lot really well. It does. And one of those, the story is always there. It's about dragons. Yep. And we don't know exactly what's going on, but it's interesting and we get to keep contributing to it the whole time. People ask us, the heroes to do cool things related to this one storyline from the beginning to end. And it's an epic journey and mm-hmm. that's awesome. Most of the other adventures, it's like, they don't want to tell the story that yeah. they literally sold you, right? Like it's on <laughs> the thing that's on the cover of the book. It's like, they don't want you doing that. Right. It's, right, it's right. We see it in two like try the, you know, dino races, but you don't have time for them. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or it's, it's true. Like, take on the rhyme, it'll be done in the middle. You know, it's, yeah. it's funny. And, and this is the same kind of thing where it's like, there's supposed to be this elemental evil stuff going on. Help me get there. Right. And none of these little quests really touch on it except the, the, the sort of what should be the last one when you're level two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Bears and Bows, Haunted Tomb. Uh, If there's a reason to go there, it's not told in this section. It's like these two NPCs know about the tomb. But why do they tell the characters to go there? Maybe we learned about that back in Chapter 2, but it doesn't say see Chapter 2. So, yeah, yeah, it's just it's bizarre. Um, Bloody Treasure. (laughs) This one's my favorite. Hey, there's treasure at Trickle Rock Cave. Actually, there isn't. Uh, There's four Sturges, though. And so, I think what
1: this is, is this is one that if you go poking around trying to find info on the kind of secret cult that's in town, they tell you about this. So it's almost like they want you to die here. Okay.
0: See, what this one th- That would be great to know without yeah. having to read or,
1: you know, be told. And, and this is one of the things I would highly suggest to anybody running Princes of the Apocalypse is way back when this came out, uh, PowerScore RPG put out a guide to this adventure. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, it'll save your life running this adventure. I, I, I was using that the entire time I ran this because it's, it helps you understand these things and because the adventure is so confusing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And then the next three, I think are kind of related. Uh, There's the last laugh, which is a, a skull stuck to a tree with an arrow with black parchment around the arrow that says the last laugh, you'll be next, Valklandar. And that's all it says. But if you uh handle the arrow, you have nightmares. And for the next 10 day, undead attack them more reluctantly, targeting you last. I'm like, okay. Uh, and then there's the Lance Rock. Uh, which is sort of the introduction to the necromancer's cave, which is the big dungeon crawl for the first-level characters. Um, So Lance Rock says characters who confront troublesome situations in the wilderness attract the attention of Kalesa Urkel, proprietor of the Swinging Sword. Kalesa believes an evil influence emanates from Lance Rock being the source of Red Larch's troubles. She asks the characters who should be first-level to find out what's going on characters discover that a necromancer who styles himself as a lord is lurking in the cave near the landmark
1: so can i just say yeah i I want to butt in here to say that in an adventure that has a secret cult going on when some person just says hey i think there's a necromancer in a cave my players were like oh she's with the cult and trying to kill us off because that is the weirdest thing it's sort of like the constable like did somebody get attacked by a necromancer no did the necromancer come to town and threaten you? No. So how do you know this? I just kind of heard of it. What? Yeah. yeah. It's it, like why did you make it an implausible thing? Like give me an actual reason why you heard of this. Otherwise, you sound really suspicious in an adventure where I'm
0: looking for suspicious people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and and so with nothing else left to do, I guess the characters go off to the necromancer's cave and it's the it's typical of dare I say a necromancer's cave the first the first chamber has it one zombie the second chamber has two zombies. The third chamber has three skeletons, so they change that up and, and it's fine right it's it's fine, it's neat. it's hey, let's get these first level characters some experience, get them through some combats um but it it still doesn't necessarily and then okay, to their credit at the end of this Mm -hmm. the necromancer runs away and hides and at this pedestal in his like work chamber there's this elemental eye that hovers there and then disappears and he's afraid of it and that's good that it's good in the sense that it's at it at least touches upon what's going to be coming but doing it in the way that it's done it I'm like, oh, give me, I want to know what this is. I want to, why is this rock showing this? Is this rock magical? Is this, what does it connect to? Uh, And there's nothing, there's no information. It's a very bizarre thing. And Mm -hmm. because it's bizarre, you want to know. If it was just a, some symbol thrown on a, on a scroll, you'd be like, okay, this is a clue, but this is like more, this is, this is something that begs to be investigated and we don't, we're not told why it's there. We're not told why this eye and this pedestal mean anything at this location. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just sort of left there and you as the DM are going to be questioned and you might not have an answer.
1: Yeah. it's tough because having run this with, with middle school kids, it was uh, it was quite the challenge later on in the adventure to keep them remembering why they're doing all of this and how the story links around the Mirabard delegation and all these different aspects. And I think that was a struggle in part because this beginning so didn't build anything up, mm-hmm. uh, especially as compared to something like Horde of the Dragon Queen that really does build up. Yeah, and and so. It would have been nice if these quests were dealing with sort of hints of elemental evil mm-hmm. and strange. Those activities, that would be a lot more interesting, right? It, and, and would build up to there's something really serious that's starting to happen in this area. Yep. Now, when I get this thing about the missing Mirabar delegation, it's likely this cult and it all becomes more important and yeah, and, uh, yeah more engaging. Because engagement, I think, is one that the, the, if I if I summarize one fault of this adventure, it's keeping people focused and engaged on what they're doing and why.
0: Right. And then if you complete the Necromancer's Cave, it suggests that you become second level and then you can move on to the Tomb of Moving Stone, which is its own uh, adventure for second level characters. Uh, but that's beyond the scope of what we're trying to do here. Yep. Um, yep. So so there you go. So those were the first two. Um, so again, I, I want to reiterate that we're not trying to, to put these down. We're just trying to discuss them in a way that we as designers look at our own work and try to make it the best it can possibly be for the audience at hand. Yeah.
1: And, and learn, because what I like about what Prince's is trying to do is to create a, a Really remarkably open experience given, say, a lot of previous adventures in fourth and third edition, especially mm-hmm. where this adventure would have just been one linear quest after another, start, end, all very hammered out, very dry. So, this tries to give you this whole like, as you go around the town and you talk to people, you end up on these different quests. But as we can see, that is its own challenge to do that design. So, yep. so we try to learn from it because. Because we want to have open experience, but also motivation and not hard to run and all that. Yeah, goals. I think you're right. Goals is a big theme of what works, right? Yeah. Motivation, something the party, the character, characters should 100% know what they're doing and why.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. So with that, we will end for this episode. Next episode, we will look at some of the next few adventures in our queue, like Out of the Abyss and Curse of Strad. Mm -hmm. so with that thank you so much Teos, for joining me today thank you so much listeners for putting up with our nonsense and thank Mm -hmm. you to our patrons for putting a few coins in the coffer to keep the lights on here indeed Uh, so if you would like to become a patron of the show you can go to patreon.com slash mmp Teos, where can people find you or your work Ah, you can find my blog at alphastream.org
1: Get free stuff, sign up Don't miss anything uh, You can find me on
0: Twitter at alphastream Sean, where are you? I am sitting at home But on Twitter I am at Sean Merwin You can follow the podcast Twitter at Mastering d Or you can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com and talk to us directly Mastering Dungeons is a Misdirected Mark production, so Teos now that we've navigated not one but two adventure introductions what are we going to do now
1: let's charge at that blue dragon it's four miles away all right
0: it may be dead by the time we get there
1: let's do it